Sunday, January 22nd is the big day. Over the course of the past six months, two things have happened as we've prepared to launch Radius Carolina. First, we've confirmed the need for a night church. Through meeting people downtown, speaking with local pastors, campus ministries, we know that the need and desire to reach over 40,000 college students is real, and a night church is the best way to accomplish that. Secondly, we've built a fantastic launch team. Even this week, we've met and prayed together, and we are excited to move throughout the streets of downtown, engaging the lost for the sake of the gospel. I'd ask you to join with us in prayer over two main points. Number one, we ask that doors would be open on college campuses across the Midlands, throughout Columbia, as we seek to engage students at USC, CIU, Midlands, and the rest of the colleges downtown. The second point would be that laborers would be raised up to join with us as we go throughout downtown Columbia. I think of Luke 10, 22, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, and we'd love for people to come lock arms with us as we pursue the lost in downtown Columbia. God, I pray that each one of us would be uh, living our lives with our eyes up and our hearts turned towards the broken that are in our radius. And God, I ask that uh, Carolina exists for no other reason than to bring you glory. All right. So if you're new here at Radius, that is a prayer that we prayed when this first started, not quite 20 years ago. We prayed that we would be a church that had our eyes up. We named it Radius because we wanted to love the people right in our sphere of influence. So we want to continue to do this. If you know our mission statement, it is not too complicated. It is uh, we exist to glorify God, pause, because that's plenty of reason to exist as a church. By making disciples, which is the big push for groups, it's a great place to be in community and grow. So by making disciples, by planting churches, which is what that is, and we hope to continue to take shots. So as we grow, we hope to continue to try to plant churches in other parts of the Midlands, perhaps all over the state at some point. Sometimes maybe it, maybe it won't work exactly like we thought, but we want to keep taking shots because we think it's important for, for us to represent Jesus in our radius and then finally, by living generously, we talk about that real regular here. We're doing a series right now. If, it's, if you're new, this is your first time, it's the beginning of the year. We're calling it new, uh, No Regerts. I had a friend from Houston that saw our post or something. I'm not a big social media. He sent me a text. Like, Please tell me that you know you misspelled regrets. I'm like, yeah, man, like we're genius. We have these ideas. What? We hand out tattoos that say no regrets. Anybody put one of these on last week? If you missed, I got some outside. I know some of the kids did. Was it hard to get off? Mine too. It took like 15 minutes to get that thing off. So if you put it on, just word to the wise. Like you might need one of them green scrub cloths to get it off. But nonetheless... Uh, we started this series because we thought it would be a, a, a fun way to talk about our decision-making. Um, this book is kind of a guide that we're using. It's called Better Decision, Fewer Regrets. You can pick it up. It's by a guy named Andy Stanley. Clearly, this is not a, the Bible, right? This, this is uh, a great book on wisdom. He's got five simple questions. Uh, it's, they're questions that I've been asking myself. We went through this about a year ago with our staff, and we thought it would be really good as a church for us to go through, through it and, and actually put us in a position in our community 
to have some words of wisdom for people around us. I literally passed out the tattoos at Lizard's Thicket this week. One of the waitresses had it on before I left. She had it on the shoulder. She's so proud of it. They're passing them out in the restaurant. Because it's, it's an opportunity, if you know Jesus, to represent Jesus in a wise way. And so last week we asked uh, two questions. I'll, I'll review them with you. The first one was what we called the integrity question. It's actually what Andy calls the integrity question. And we asked, am I being honest with myself, dot, 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 really? I could hold a mirror up here right now, and we could just go, are you being honest with yourself? I don't know about you, but even when I look in a very clear mirror, I can lie to myself. That's why he puts the really on the end. Anybody else got this problem? Like, I'll go, my hair's not really receding that fast. Like, I, 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 you can argue yourself into whatever you want to as you look in the mirror. So, like, a really healthy way to make decisions is look at the truth about you, your situation. The second question, he calls it the conscience question. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? I love just how pithy that, that statement is. It helps it stick. I thought if I brought a mirror up for the first one about telling the truth, I'd probably bring this massive pink jug of Pepto-Bismol up here for the second one, right? Like, is there attention that deserves my attention? There's something in my life that's causing my stomach to churn a little bit. Some of y'all don't even know what Pepto-Bismol is, do you? <laughs> my age, people, you know what I'm talking about? Like, they got the tablets. You can Anyway, like... Um, it's for your stomach. Yes, yeah, that. That's what it is. Um, the, pink the pink stuff. You're exactly right. The pink stuff. It's nasty, isn't it? It works, though. Anyway, the, the, the idea is, like, all of us have some tension in our lives. And, and some of it is caused by others, but sometimes there's this tension. We know about it. Like We know there's something, there's a decision that needs to be made. What is it? And should you make it? The question this week, uh, he actually calls the maturity question, which I... I like, he says, what is the wise thing to do? And I like, I like that he calls it the maturity question because when I read what is the wise thing to do, I think, what will my dad do? I, I grew up in a home with a wise man, and so a lot of times when I have a decision, I try to go to him. And dad's just, just a note, he rarely answered me directly. Instead, he would try to teach me how to think. And so he would he would argue like both sides, like new car or used car. And he'd, he'd argue both sides. I'm like, Dad, just tell me which one to buy. Like, tell, tell, give me. He didn't, he didn't want to do that. He wanted to teach me how to be wise. I realized that everybody in the room didn't grow up in a home like that. And so, uh, man, just right out of the gate, let's just, let's just call that what it is. So it would be cool if you met an older lady or older man that could be a mentor, somebody that uh, is wise, that you could pick their brain on, on occasion so that you could learn to be wise. Because folks have been down the road a little bit. They've made a bunch of mistakes. They've made some bad decisions, and they could tell you which ones not to make. They've also seen a bunch of other folks make good and bad decisions, so they have this wisdom to give, and it is a gift. Some of you grew up in a home like mine, and we have been given this great, gift, and maybe you sit here this morning and you go, well, I squandered it because I've made a thousand bad decisions. And some of you, because of that guidance, that, that wisdom that was passed on to you by the generation to pass, you just never want to be unwise, so you kind of just have created this little bubble so that you're always safe. That, that concerns me. It concerns me because it seems like if we were trusted with wisdom, 
Like, if we were taught wisdom from the folks before, we ought to be in a position where we give it away, that we'd be in it. We probably wouldn't be in such a safe environment because we want to give it to others. I recognize that maybe more than half the room uh, has not seen a lot of wisdom in your life. Perhaps your parents weren't wise. Uh, The adults around you weren't wise when you were growing up, which puts you around friends that weren't wise. And um, you have a stack of regrets because of decisions, because of that environment. (laughs) It's interesting, like, our world is getting less and less wise, right? Like, if you turn on the radio, I I actually Googled country songs about regrets. Guess what happens? They list three, and then there's like a little button, and then like infinity, right? Like, (laughs) Like, it must be like what you have to be. It's what every country song is about, your regrets. And so I decided, let me try pop. Let me, let me pop songs about regrets. Same thing. Three songs and then infinity. All these songs, because we, we share that in humanity. We all have regrets. As a matter of fact, somewhere down on there, Eminem has a song uh, about no regrets. And so I pushed it. You probably don't want to listen to it, kids. All right, so, like, um, and I listen to it. I'm like, this dude's so mad about all the mistakes that he makes. He's saying he has no regrets. He's yelling the whole time, but trying to argue himself out of all of his mistakes. Me and Eminem, we didn't have a talk. Anyway, he needs to ask this question. What's the wise thing to do? Um, the Bible gives us five books out of the 66. They're all about wisdom. Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Ecclesiastes and Psalms. Matter of fact, if you open up your Bible right to the middle, you're probably going to land in the book of Psalms or Proverbs. Right there in the middle, God gives us these five books so that we could be wise. As a matter of fact, in your, if you're in your 20s, I did this on a regular basis. I would take every day of the month, there's 31 books in Proverbs, and I'd read the whole chapter, like chapter, today's the 15th, so I'd read chapter 15, and I'd write down one proverb out of this list of proverbs, and I just kind of stew on it for today because I wanted to be wise. And here's this book giving me a gift. If you didn't get it as a child, if this is your, your, you're just here with, like you're going, I got so many regrets, it's discouraging. This is your opportunity to stop and slow down and think about how to be wise going forward. So the Bible in Ephesians chapter 5 addresses wisdom and does it very directly, Paul writes this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but be like those who are wise. Make the most of every top opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. That's not too complex, right? Sometimes you pick up the Bible and it just seems like, it seems like Greek or Hebrew, right? That's what it was. <laughs> it's not a joke. It was Greek. It's been translated. Anyway, long story, but like, uh, it's actually in English. It's been translated. So, so we're reading it, and it, this is a, about as clear as you possibly be. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thought, thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Be careful how you live. I double underlined live. It seems like uh, sometimes when we talk about stuff like this, we emphasize careful. Matter of fact, if you want to annoy me, and I I didn't mean to offend a few people last service, but when I'm walking out the door, please don't say be safe. 
drives me nuts. I'm not that boring. Like, I'm not that uncoordinated. I'm not going to trip over the curb. Well, I mean, I'm not going to fall down on my face in the park. Like, why are you saying be safe to me? It seems like in the suburbs, that's all we do is we say be safe, be safe. Hey, be safe. Like, uh, I think with this passage, he's not, he's not saying, sometimes we say be safe so much so that we can't live. We're so afraid of getting hurt or losing something that we don't actually have anything. The passage is actually saying, be aware. Be, be aware of your surroundings. You're going to make some bad decisions. So then make some good decisions after the bad decisions. Be aware of what's going on. Anybody watch the Jags last night? Trevor Lawrence made like four really bad decisions in the first half, right? Like, but then he made some really good decisions in the second half, right? Kick the field goal to anybody stay up. That's why y'all at this service, aren't you? Because you stayed up. I appreciate it. I didn't get to do that. And that's kind of how life goes. So when he says, be careful how you live, we're actually doing something. We need wisdom because we're in it. Not because we want to hide from it. So I, I started with my kids when they leave the house. I would say, be wise. And uh, they knew what I meant. I knew what they were about to go see or be around or be close to. I want them to be wise in that moment. I wanted them to make a decision like I would because in the passage he says, don't, don't live like, what, fools. If they sat at the dinner table for me long enough, I illustrated a number of situations where fools were acting. Like, so it was clear who the fools were, but be like those who are wise. I wanted them to act wise in that moment. That means if you want to be wise in this room, you have to read from wise people and see what they have to say, right? Like, there's not a whole lot on social media pushing things that are wise. You've got to offset that with some, with some wisdom reading. You've got to watch some people that are wise, and it creates humility inside of you because, because we know our bad decisions when we, when we compare it to wisdom. I like the way the passage, he says, be careful how you live, and careful gets a lot more understanding later in, in this little simple passage when he says, in these evil days. So it's not a neutral society. The society is not for you, right? It's against you. It's actually out to get you in some ways. So he says, be wise in the middle of it. Learn how to navigate these, quote, evil days. Tomorrow is, uh, we celebrate Martin Luther King. 1958, he was at a book signing and uh, he got stabbed right in the chest by a lady in the line with a seven-inch uh, paper, like opener, like an envelope opener, letter opener. And uh, I am so glad that people didn't convince him to be safe. Instead, he was wise. And they, they got more meticulous about security around him. He, he, was, he was just 32. Things were just starting to happen. He was trying to figure it out. But despite that difficulty, he didn't run away. Instead, he ran toward the difficulty in a wise kind of way. Andy Stanley writes in this book that I just showed you, every day I interface with a culture that encourages us in the most provocative ways imaginable to satisfy appetites that can never be fully or finally satisfied. Long gone are the days when you go looking for trouble. Trouble is always just a click away. Right? Everybody knows it. We got it in our pocket. It's just that far away. 
It's a great reminder that the days are evil. The writer of Ephesians is saying that 2,000 years ago. Seems like the days are always evil. That the, the way the, the, the world works is against mankind. It's been set up that way since the fall. So the writer is telling us to be wise. He says to make most, make the most of every opportunity. Tony Evans is one of my favorites. He writes it in the negative, which helped me understand it. Because when somebody says something like, make the most of every opportunity, I feel like we ought to have a poster of Michael Jordan taking a jump shot or some dude hanging off a cliff, right, or some lady swimming across a canal or something, something crazy. Like, it feels like a motivational speech. But, so what does that mean? Make the most of every opportunity. Tony Evans writes it like this. Don't miss opportunities by making the same choices you've always made. I thought that was pretty good. I would add dumb to the sentence, but I'm a little more crude than Tony, right? Like, don't, make, don't miss opportunities by making the same dumb choices you've always made. But there's just, we all know it. Like, those choices kind of circle back up, and we, we have to choose whether to make the same one again, and we even know where it's going. Am I going to make it again? The word wasted kind of came to my mind as I was going through this. It's, it's a word we use like if we abuse something, like taking it in through our mouth or through our, you know, through whatever part of it, like don't, don't get wasted. It seems like um, when we stack bag decisions, wasted is a great way to explain it. Let me just get into your business and hurt your feelings a little bit. What if you took 50% of all the money you've wasted and had invested it when you did? Oh, man. Like, we're 55-ish. Cheryl's a year older than me. Don't tell anybody. But anyway, like, like we're, 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 uh, we're, we're at, like, at that stage of life. What if we took all, any, all the money or any of the money that we, any, even 10% or 20% of the money that we wasted and invested? I wonder what that, that nest egg would look like, right? We all got these things that we wasted. Some of y'all in a relationship, you've been in it for 18 months, and you know that you ought to be out of this dating relationship, right? Like, why are you going to waste another month? We can do this right here. Pull your phone out. We can handle this, right? Like, like, like it's, it's, it's what we, when folks you smoke weed, like, it's like they forget months, right? Like, you, 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 like you, you smoke enough weed, you start forgetting months, and you just, it's just wasted. Like, the next thing you know, we're six years older, and like, what, what just happened? It's wasted. I'm not cracking on all this stuff specifically. I'm just saying you can be in friendships where you waste part of your life because you sit around and talk about nothing. And then at the end, you're wondering, was that really a friendship, or are we just like sharing our miseries? really not helping one another go forward. Oftentimes, clearly I'm a pastor, I'm in front of a church, and folks will say, I've wandered forever, and, and after about six months of plugging in here at Radius, or even I hear this from other churches, they go, man, I feel like I wasted a bunch of time because they're starting to get healthy spiritually. So it's a, it's a great question. Make the most of every opportunity. That's the positive. Tony Evans says, don't miss opportunities by making the same choices you've always made. Both, both are great. Martin Luther King writes in the Birmingham jail. If you've never read it and, and you know Jesus, I'd encourage you to read it. It was, I have not read the whole thing before. Uh, it was super convicting. He, uh, he's a quote monster, right? Like, so he, he's got quote on top of quote. But as a believer, uh, this quote stood out to me the most. Tony, I mean, uh, Martin Luther King says, we will have to repent in this generation not merely for the hateful words and actions of bad people, but for the appalling silence 
of good people, the people that said, be safe. Paul writes in the passage, and I think it it brings all this to to a culmination. He says, uh, understand what the Lord wants you to do. He takes it from just wisdom, and he takes it to a much higher level. He includes, includes God. He says, understand what the Lord wants you to do. The boomers in the room, you guys know, like the generation before you, they always said, Lord willing. They say, I'm going to Publix, Lord willing, at the end of the statement, right? Like, like it ended up being almost like this superstitious thing you got to say because you might crash on the way to, to the Publix. Everybody, boomers, you, you agree with me? Yeah, I know, I, I'm almost a boomer. Like, like that was, that, that's the way that went. And then some folks said it, like, I don't know, it just became cliche. It just became a part of their language. And then sometimes it's just really the right thing to say. Because God's sovereign, and we should say, if the Lord wills, it shows our, our humility and his greatness, so it works when it's not superstitious. That's not what he's talking about here. In this passage, he says, he's actually saying, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. It's almost as if you already know, like it's already in there. You, you need to face up to what you have known all along you ought to do. So if you don't know what the Lord wills, and certainly be a good thing to start reading the Bible, and we can help you with that some here. Coming to church is a great thing where you get to hear people talk about the Bible. Being in a group is great because you get to have relationships which point you to God. But for many of us, we're sitting in this room right now. We, we have stuff inside us we already know. And he's saying, understand. So that word understand seems to be identify and do something with was already in there. Sometimes uh, you read stories about something tragic happening. I get to see that at Radius regularly, where something tragic happens, and folks, somebody's awakened by that tragic event, and then they tell themselves the truth for the first time, and they really want to be wise going forward. We have guys and ladies serve papers, which would indicate the marriage is over, and all of a sudden it's on. Really cool if we could ask this question before we get there. What's the wise thing to do? We have kids checked into rehab on a fairly regular basis here. It'd be really cool if we could ask that question before we get there. DUI, bankruptcy. Bob Buford writes a book called Halftime. Very wealthy man. He's passed now. His 20-year-old son drowned in a river uh, when he was in his 50s, when Bob was in his 50s. And he writes this book about that moment, that tragic moment, awakening him to the fact that he was wasting his life. So he reoriented all of his resources. He started this organization called Leadership Network, which I benefited from and others have. Uh, We don't want to get there. So let's ask that question together today. Everybody in this room has got some regrets. (laughs) So it's a great moment for us to pause and go like, like, what are they? I want to understand what I want to do, so I'll do it. As a parent, we all have regrets, right? You look around the room real quick. We all got them. I, I certainly have mine. Um, one of the ones that stood out as I was writing this down, I just did a really poor job handling technology. Things were changing fast. When my kids were teenagers, I could not figure it out on one hand. And on the other hand, Cheryl's telling me, to my face with volume. 
that I'm not leading our very family very well with technology. I, uh, my daughter, who I don't think she's in this service, she, to this day, she said, Dad, you shouldn't have let me have my cell phone in my room at night. I'm like, really? I, like, at the time, I was arguing with Cheryl that she could handle it. And Mariah, like, this is before pictures and all that stuff. She's just, just text, just text going back and forth. It just wasn't good for people to have access to my daughter, even via text at night, by herself, all alone. But I didn't lead well there. It's a regret. I bought a $100 some sort of computer and set it up in my house and gave all the kids access, but it was in a position where, where you couldn't see what was on the screen, so there was no accountability. It was, it was a terrible decision. It was a cheap computer. It felt like a good decision. We, we waited in line to get the cheap computer, but then I just, I just, I was lazy. I didn't want to do it. I don't know if I was optimistic. I don't know why, but I look back at it, and I regret You've probably got yours. The good part about it was I finally awakened to it. There was one year in our parenting where it became clear that this was a problem. And then we went at it with all we had. Cheryl was nice enough not to tell me over and over, I told you so. She told me a couple of times, but not over and over. Right? Like, 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 and then, then we just went after it with all that we were worth. And we're not technological, so we couldn't go at it that way. We just started unplugging stuff and changing passwords and figuring out like, what we could figure out because it was important. Like, I, that's, I, these are the people I love most on the planet. And you're in the same position today. You got something. You got it right there in front of you. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Sometimes it's just really obvious. Your spouse is probably telling you about it, or your kids are, or your friends are. Andy says uh, that you do what's wise and light of the past, in light of the present, in light of the future. I, re- I really like that. So, like, it, it would be strange to not grow from what's happened in the past, whether it be in your life or somebody else's. I had a mentor in college named Dave Glock. He taught me a ton. And during this little season, I learned that alcohol wasn't a sin. So I'm in my 20s. I learned alcohol is not, this is not a sin. Like, and obviously drunkenness is, but it wasn't a sin. So I was trying to figure that out. And he and I are at his dinner table. We're talking about it. And I'm trying to figure this out biblically. And we're going back and forth. And, and I'm kind of laughing about it. Like, seriously? Like, like, and, and we're going back and forth. And then his wife, Mel, down at the end of the table, she jumps in. And like with a little bit of a fury. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? Like she got a little anger in her voice. And it's directed at me. So he was her husband. And it was directed at me for what I was saying about alcohol not being sin. And, and, and so we're, we're going through this. And I looked over at him. I was I thought you said the Bible doesn't say that drinking is a sin. And he, he, he looks at me and goes, it don't matter what the Bible says right now. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, you're a professor at the Bible college. You've been teaching me all this stuff. And, and all she got to do is say something. And you're going to like tell me it doesn't matter what the Bible says? He said, man, and I was smart enough even at that age to understand by his body language, I just need to shut up. So I shut up. <laughs> And uh, we got away from the table, and he says, you know, her daddy was alcoholic. He drove their whole family into ditch. He wasted everything they had. And he said, so she's making a wisdom decision in light of the past. For some of y'all, when, when you get married, you, you need extended marriage counseling because of where you came from. Everybody doesn't need it, but you do. It's okay. We make wise decisions in light of the past. We make wise decisions in light of the present. It's, 
never a good idea to make a big decision when your emotions are high, right? When you're angry, it's a really good time to be quiet, to hold. Don't play anything. I just, I'm going to quote uh, one of our partners here. Todd Lyle gave me this. He says, there's an inverse relationship between emotions and discernment, which I thought was great. When emotion is high, discernment is low. So oftentimes at Radius, if someone gets divorced, we're, we, we just really want to encourage them for 12 months, like just, just spend time with the Lord, plug into the community, and don't do anything. Don't go the next step. When there's a breakup, we're trying to <laughs> discourage the rebound because it seems like the best way to fix things when you're emotional <laughs> is usually a bad decision. Cheryl and I, got, we laugh about this some, like if one of us passes, like we, with our kids, it might be a little crude as a family, I don't know, but like if, if, if I die, Cheryl's, the first year, she, she can't sell the house. That's, that's the thing. I stay in the house, got to figure it out, but she can't buy a dog because <laughs> we ain't buying a dog while I'm alive, right? Like so if I go, y'all can participate in the name of the dog, right? If Cheryl dies first, I can't sell the house for you. Like we're going to just stay steady. But we are going to pull up a dumpster in the front yard, all right? We're going to get a bunch of stuff. She keeps selling Goodwill. I'm like, Goodwill takes too long. I'm going all in the dumpster. Like, we got, it's like, like there's, this, there's this thing that happens when your emotions are high and you lose the one you love the most. You don't want to make a big decision in that moment. It's not, it's not a good time. And that goes for the very toughest things like that and divorce to some of the smallest. If you could just wait, a, sometimes it's just 24 hours. Sometimes it needs to be 12 months. In light of the present, what's wise? In light of the future, what's wise? And that really gives us our last saying as we kind of get toward the end. Andy Stanley has a, has a, a fourth saying. He calls it the legacy question, which I really like. He says, what story do you want to tell? So when it's all over, when we're at your funeral, what story do you want to tell? I had a, a mentor in college who was a great father. His name was Keith Leverance. I would go to his house on occasion and watch him parent, watch how he loved his kids, disciplined his kids. And I, I really kind of took the Leverance family. They had three kids. And in my mind, I had this picture that I put on the wall. I want, and Cheryl and I were dating at the time, I want to treat her like Keith treated Betty. And I want to raise our kids like they raised their kids, KT, Karen, and Benji. I want to I, I do what they did. A really great, great way to think about what you want your story to be in the future is to have a, a, a we call it a straw man. You ever heard that? In other words, it's this picture. It's not going to be exactly like I'm, I'm a lot different than, than Keith is and Cheryl's a lot different than Betty, but we're going to build this picture. and It's going to look kind of like, like that. It was a great way to learn to make decisions looking toward that. I got a little picture of us when we started Radius. There they are, all six of them. I don't know why we cut the two beauties out on the corners, but we did. The boys got in the middle. That's when Radius started 20 years ago. And at that point, I thought I was chasing after Keith's picture, the one I had on the wall, because that's kind of the age he was when I met him. Turns out, I'm not even halfway through making all the decisions I got to make yet. Right? I got all these decisions after that. There's some decisions that caused those six kids right now. And then I had to make some decisions because I had so many kids. The money, the money that it costs to have six kids is crazy. We had to buy the milk. Like, when you have five sons, it don't matter what the expiration date is on the milk. So you just buy it. 
You can wait till it's expired and bring it to the house because it's going to be gone like that. I mean, college, all these things. I didn't think about those future decisions. I still had thousands and thousands of decisions to make. As are many of you in the midst of making those decisions. But it really helped me to have the Leverance family in my mind as I was working forward. I saw some things that he did, something I really wanted to learn. He was affectionate. and It seemed to really bless his family. He hugged them a lot. I don't know if, uh, if you've ever tried to hug me. I'm not exactly affectionate, right? Like, like, like something like that. That's, that's what I do. Uh, Keith hugged his kids. So at least for the first 10 years of my kids, I got awkward when they turned into teens. But I wanted to be affectionate. I, he, he taught his kids the Bible in the house. And um, not, like, not like classroom. It was just a part of the regular conversation. It happened at the table. You had them in a really healthy church. That was a big part of his parenting. That was a part of what they talked about at the dinner table. I wanted to do that. As I watched and looked at their picture, I knew that if I allowed lying to become prominent in my house, it would, it would undermine something that I had there. And so you still, my kids still flinch if, if they hear somebody lie. They're like, ooh, is dad around? Because like, it just it felt to me like somebody's taking a shot at that picture that I had on the wall. Somebody uh, in our family directly rebelled to Cheryl. It felt to me like sometimes, Dad, you know what I'm talking about? Every once in a while, Cheryl say something like, I don't even know if that's right. But it felt like I better have her back. Anybody else do this? If you don't, you need to. All right, like, so like, she's, she's coaching up the kids, and I'm like, I don't, I don't even know if she did that right. But it felt like, for one, she's going to be here, and they're going to leave. Two is if I don't keep her in a position of authority, this thing's going to come unglued. I'm never going to get to where I want to go in that picture of my family. One of my sons is smart enough to share in the kitchen. I don't know. He's about 10. Good move to make as a dad is bump the door hard when you come in because it sounds a little violent. Sorry, not, 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 not abusive, by it, but just a little bump on the door. So I bumped the door, and he saw me. He didn't know I was in the house. His hands went straight up. It, it was just like a Western, like, like complete giving himself over to me. Like, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because he knew. There's two things. You lie at Three's house, you directly rebel against your mama. It's on because I'm, I'm fighting for something. I have a story that I want to tell. Keith taught me that that was going to require a lot of prayer. So we've prayed a lot for our kids. We continue to pray for our kids very simply. But what I underestimated was the will that it would take. <laughs> Man, when, you, when you're just starting out, whether it's with a family or with a business or whatever, you, you just, it's hard to calculate how many bad decisions you're going to make. You just make hundreds of bad decisions. So the will to overcome those bad decisions by making good decisions is tremendous. <laughs> Being a parent now for 31 years, wow, the, the willpower that it took, takes to stay in the game and keep fighting for it and fighting for it and fighting for it. It's intense. Jim Collins writes a book called Good to Great. We pulled from it last week. He, uh, it's a book about companies that are good, that want to be great, and he kind of compares good companies to great companies. And one of the things that he observes is that every great company is led by a level five leader. So he compares 15 companies. He says this about a level five leader. A level five leader is a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. Their ambition is first and foremost for the institution and not for themselves. 
That's a great line. Whether you're running a massive company or whether you're running home or just some simple goals that you have in life. Those are a couple great ideas in there. Personal humility and professional will. Both 100% true of being a dad or a mom or on your job. Martin Luther King in 1963, gave his I Have a Dream speech. If you haven't listened to it, it's only like five minutes long. And if you're a preacher, it's just spellbinding. This guy's his, his, the way he can articulate things, the tone of his voice, the rhythm and the cadence and the way he speaks is just, it's shocking. This time, as I read back through it to get ready for today, I've always heard it as the I Have a Dream speech. And then when you read the text, he actually says, I still have a dream. Just focused in on that word still, because at this point in his life, when he gives that speech, uh, he's already suffered a good little bit. And African Americans across our country, though the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed a hundred years prior, still did not have equality. So a hundred years of history, and he stands up and says, I still have a dream encourage me. I ought to encourage you. No matter where you came from, no matter what your past is, no no matter what your parents are, no matter how much wasted this life has been to date, perhaps today you could say, I still have a dream. You can remember who you wanted to be or who maybe deep inside this thing that's been stirring. What story do I want to tell? I could still leave a legacy. Martin Luther King says, I Still have a dream. Now, when you listen to people, like we got a holiday after him tomorrow, for goodness sakes. He went to college when he was 15 years old. He was brilliant, right? He has a PhD by the time he's 25. Most of this stuff was accomplished in 15 years of adult life. Most of all the stuff that we read and the stories that we hear about, he didn't make it to 40. Life was way too short. Seems like he's a special man, obviously he is. He was like put on the planet in the United States for our country for such a time as this. So it kind of feels like that doesn't apply to me. As I was thinking about him, I was thinking, I thought about another man I knew. His name was T. Michael Flowers, African-American man in Atlanta, a little bit older than Martin Luther King Jr. In the 90s, I ended up in his church. They asked me to come speak. For those of y'all that... uh, are in our minority. I, I understand only in moments where I'm in a room and Cheryl and I, as a young married couple, we're the only white folks in the room. And I speak and I get to go back to the back and I meet this guy named T. Michael Flowers. He's, he's in his 70s, incredibly humble, and uh, yet kind of got a little bit of a swagger to him. And I start picking up that like there's, there's a lot of young leaders at this place but they keep referring back to him. So I start picking and trying to figure out what his story is. It turns out this church I was speaking at was his ninth church plant. Though he uh, was average in many ways, he had decided and the Lord had convicted him that there needed to be some healthy churches in the South led by young black men and women and he started establishing, the first one was in Charleston, if I remember right, and he comes across kind of the southeast to Atlanta, and he plants these nine churches. He just, he just really kind of grinded. He spent his life doing this, investing in the next. He had this like, 
crazy will to push it forward, but he was humble enough to pass it to the next generation. He had his eyes on what was next. Martin Luther King certainly did that in a dramatic way to the point of losing his life and giving us this legacy, right? Our nation has a legacy from Martin Luther King. T. Michael Flowers was just this little group of churches that he blessed with his life. And you know what? He didn't know this. I didn't know him well, but I took his picture and added it to my wall. It struck me that I want to do that. I want to bless my generation at the time with healthy churches where they can belong. Sure enough, I show up in Lexington, Lynn Kesey, I met him uh, very early. He was dreaming of a church that planted churches. And so we partnered in this thing called Radius. Salim Khalil, if you don't know him, he goes to Radius Southside. He believed in the priesthood of all believers. He thought everybody ought to play a role. As a matter of fact, it was up to, up to uh, Salim. We wouldn't have our name on the building because he wants it to be about us. You know, he didn't want people to, like, Salim, people got to know where we are, man. Like, like, but he was so passionate about us care, handling our own business in our own Radius. Chris Seavey, who's been a part of this place for a long time, he loved Lexington. That's why we're here. He loved Lexington. Kirkland was a part of that group. He loved marriages. He would, if you've ever seen Kirkland, he's going to live to 100 because he's always happy. But if you say something's wrong with your marriage, and all of a sudden, like, he gets serious. And if you're a dude and you do something foolish in your marriage, he'll get mad. It's hilarious for me. Like, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm usually the bad cop. And all of a sudden, he becomes a bad cop. Uh, Todd Carnes really took Radius and pushed it toward the community. You see how this is like, it's a group effort, and now you're a part of that group? Like, this is our story going forward. Who knows how long Radius will last? That's not what it's about. It's about us being faithful right now, and faithful to this little simple mission statement we, we mentioned, continuing to plant churches, and one day we'll go away, and hopefully we will pass the baton to somebody else because it wasn't about us. It's not too late. You've not wasted too much time. What story do I want to tell? It's a book in the Bible called Mark. Uh, about halfway through, Mark, matter of fact, if you want to hear the story that Jesus wants to tell, pick up Mark. It's 16 chapters. It won't take you long to read. And when you get to chapter 8, there's a transition. At the end of chapter 8, some of the disciples call Jesus the Messiah. You know what he says? Don't tell anybody. So they're calling him the Savior. They're saying he's the one. In chapter 8, like halfway through this story about Jesus, Jesus tells us, hey, keep that quiet. Why? Why did he keep it quiet? Why didn't he want everybody to know how great he was? I'll tell you why. Because he knew what story he wanted told. As a matter of fact, in that moment, you see it right toward the end of chapter 8. They'll say he's the Messiah. He'll say, keep it quiet. And then he's going to tell the disciples, hey, I'm going to die. My job was to come live and to die. And he begins to explain it really clearly the first time. My, my boy Peter in the passage, like, argues with God Almighty. It's always hilarious. Like, like, no, no, you're wrong, Jesus. You're not going to die. And Jesus like, I'm God. Like, we, we designed this whole thing. He, Jesus comes. He has this story he wants to tell. And we're telling it today, 2,000 years later, because he designed it this way. He's the only man that's ever walked this earth and not had a regret. He was on mission. He had his eyes on the end goal. And so he didn't want the story told until the right time. When the right time came, he had a little meeting with the boys the night before the crucifixion. And he says, hey, do this in remembrance of me. Like I'm about to complete the mission. You remember when he's on the cross, he actually says, it is finished. 
And he says to the boys, hey, I'm going to die tomorrow, which I'm sure they still couldn't fully comprehend, but it was the story he wanted told. And so you guys take bread and juice, and you remember the blood I shed and my body broken because it's for you, because you are full of regret. And we can read the wisdom books and we can get ready and make better decisions going forward. But on a Sunday morning, you and I, we celebrate that the Bible's not just five books long. It's 66 books long. And from the beginning to the end, there's a story of redemption. It's a God that comes to save people full of regrets and give them hope. And so today, like you could decide today that you want to go a different direction. He'll meet you right now. You know, look at all that. He, He looks at that. And he welcomes you into his presence because of the work of Christ on the cross. Now that is a legacy. You come take that bread and juice, you're a part of his legacy. That death is still paying forward and will until he comes. Jesus, we worship you as the generous son of God that you are. Father, we thank you. For us, giving us the gift of your son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for indwelling us because of Christ's sacrifice. You're good. We call you good. Thank you for these few books in the Bible. Thank you for men that write about wisdom, that remind us how to make decisions. Lord, we, we want to be wise. The truth is we're pretty weak. So thank you for your willingness to help us meet us in these moments. As we sing these songs, we want to worship you first, but we also want to examine ourselves. We love you, Jesus. Amen.